0: Hey, we are glad that you're here. Some of you, you're just getting here. Welcome. We appreciate you being a part and so thankful that you have come to join us and to be a part of our worship today. And uh, maybe when you woke up this morning, this right here was the first thing on your mind. searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then, an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now, when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. The creature is driven by rage and pursued by an investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead, and he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. Anybody wake up next to that person this morning? hmm. Yeah. All of a sudden the alarm goes off and you're like, who in the world am I sleeping next to? Maybe you remember that particular intro. Some of you perhaps do, the Incredible Hulk show that was on uh, in the late 70s. Man, I can remember when that show would come on, I would run and I would. I would go and I would hide myself behind one of the chairs that was there in our house. Now, I love The Incredible Hulk, but that intro scared me to death. I mean, with that music, I mean, anytime that music plays, somebody's dying. I mean, right? That's like the, mu- the music you get in the horror movies or something. And then all of a sudden there's this guy and he's, he's turning green and he's throwing off cars. And it was very scary for a young kid. Now, whether you remember that particular intro or not, whether you experienced that show, some of you know what it means to have to go and hide because of the monster that lived inside of somebody that you cared about. The monster that continues to live inside someone that you love. You've been the person who has hidden You've gone into the bedroom and shut the door. You've gotten in the car and driven away. You've called people on the phone and says, he's doing it again. The monster within seems to overtake. It seems to somehow consume people that we love. And and let's just be honest. For some of us who are here this morning... That monster is inside of us. That monster is inside of us. Where we become angry and it's, it's just like the character in the show. We, we look at our children and say, don't make me angry because you know you're not going to like me when I'm angry. Look at our spouse. We don't even have to say anything. They know. Don't make me angry. And oh, we walk into church and we sing how that Jesus is mighty to save. But cut me off in the parking lot as I'm trying to get out. Change something with the worship order. Take away a ministry. The monster within comes out. And then we run head-on then into Scripture. And we get this picture in Scripture that there is supposed to be a cure. There is supposed to be something that takes place in the life of a disciple that somehow is able to tame the monster. And I don't know about you, but I need that serum. I need that medication sometimes. Because of the monster that lives within. We're going through a series of studies based on 1 Corinthians 13. And it's all about the love that we're supposed to have for one another. And we've talked about how that love is patient and, and kind. And, and we're coming today to this idea that you know what? Love is not a monster. Love doesn't let the monster out. Love love is not easily angered, Paul says. Now, I guess the first thing that we need to say as we talk about this this morning is that anger in and of itself is not a sin. We need to understand that. It's an emotion that God himself, it was his idea. And scripture teaches that we can be angry, but we don't have to be in sin. And you say, well, where does it come from? And and, and why does it seem that this monster is is released? And and why do some people seem to have an easier time than others? I mean, after all, for some reason, little things seem to set off my monster and wake up the green giant. While other people, it seems like they have the patience of Job and, and they can handle anything. Have you ever wished that you had the patience of elementary school teachers? Have you ever wished that? How many elementary school teachers we got here in the room? Anybody? Where's some elementary school teachers? We got a few. See, look at that. We need more people as elementary school teachers. You know why? Because they have patience. They've learned how to control the monster. Or at least they've learned how to go outside and yell really loud where nobody can hear. But why are, we our, why are we not more elementary school teachers? Because we know the monster. And we know the way in which we, our patience is tested. And we know how that there is certain situations that we do not need to be in. So you think about, why do some people have an easier time than others? The idea of anger as presented in Scripture goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes back to two brothers. Both grew up in the same family. Both worshipped at the same church. Both experienced life in the same way. Except for some reason, one ends up becoming so angry that the anger consumes him and the monster is released. Genesis chapter 4 verse 5 says, "After, After a time of worship that Cain became very angry. Now, maybe you have not been quick to shed blood like Cain did. Maybe you've just been touchy. Or you like to say that you're irritable. Maybe you call yourself quick-tempered. Maybe you're just quick to take an offense. Let me ask you, do you ever say sometimes I just fly off the handle? Understand, those aren't necessarily my terms. Those are ways that, that Paul's wording has been translated in different Bible translations. He says, love is not touchy. Love is not irritable. It is not quick-tempered. It is not quick to take offense. It is not easily angered. And love doesn't fly off the handle. Cain was all of these and, and he was more. And I think the answer is found there in the text. It just says that Lord, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain's gift. And it says Cain became very angry and he felt rejected. Rejected. I guess that's where we need to start. Rejection is oftentimes, it's the ember that lights the fire of anger. Rejection is what truly gets things going in your life. Think about it from Scripture. The sons of Jacob were rejected by their father. He pampered Joseph. He neglected them. And Scripture says that the brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Saul was rejected by the people. When they were choosing their heroes, they chose David over him. And you might remember this happening in 1 Samuel. That the women sang and they played and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And then Scripture says, and Saul became angry. David's work was rejected by God. His plan was to move the Ark of the Covenant by cart, but it didn't please the Father. And so when Uzzah reached out to study the cart and dies, David is, before he's even afraid, he's fuming with anger. And it says in 2 Samuel 6 and verse 8 that he becomes angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. What about Jonah? I mean, he had a whale of a problem with anger, Right? I know, I'm punny today. He he didn't feel that the Ninevites were, were worthy of mercy, but God did, and by forgiving them, God rejected Jonah's opinion. And how did he take the rejection? Jonah 4 and verse 1, it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this emotion. I understand that there are times of stress that can produce the monster within. I understand that when there's impatience and unmet expectations and and when referees don't call it right and when when umpires say it's a ball when it was a strike and, and when it was my kid, I understand that the monster begins to come out but rejection is often the fuel that lights anger's fire. We see it in our life. We hurt. We are hurt. We become hot. We begin name calling. We begin door slamming. We want to get our pound of flesh. We have have that sort of anger. Think about the teenager that's receiving the lecture. Father's getting on him because of his grades and miss curfew and messy room. And in in each accusation, it's like a, a shove in the young man's chest. And it just seems like it keeps going on and on. And he gets lower and lower. And somewhere, at some time, the line is crossed. And he says, forget it. I've had it. And he stands up and he storms out. Think about the Hispanic immigrant in the Anglo town. How many times can a man be teased about his accent or mocked because of his name or overlooked because of his skin color before the monster is released? Consider the wife of the insensitive husband. Every other woman in the office got a Valentine's card. She kept thinking that it would come, but it never arrives. She thinks, surely when I get home, there'll be something there for me. Only thing at home is an empty house. A phone call comes. He's going to be late again. This is a pattern. It keeps happening over and over. Her tears are hot, and the rejection leads to anger. And if the rejection of others makes us angry, what about when we feel the rejection of God like like Cain did? The account is a little sketchy and there are gaps that that need to be filled. But I think we're told enough to recreate what begins to happen there in Genesis chapter 4. Hebrews 11 and verse 4 says that it was by faith that Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And where do you get faith? We're told that faith comes through hearing. Cain and Abel heard God's instruction And when Abel brought the best part of the firstborn from his flock, he did so out of obedience of what he had heard. And when Cain brought some food from the ground, he was acting in disobedience. Surely he had heard what Abel had heard. He'd been given the same message. He knew what Abel knew. But still he was angry that God returned the sacrifice unopened. And now understand, God cautions him. Listen to verse 6. He simply says, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why do you look so unhappy? If you do things well, I will accept you. But if you do not do them well, sin is ready to attack you. Sin wants you, but you must rule over it. And so I'm going to ask you the question that God asked Cain. Why are you so angry? Why do you get so upset with your children? Why are you so mad right now with your spouse? Is it something that happened at work that is, has that is fueled this anger that you feel? Something that another brother in Christ said or did? Something that another sister in the Lord did not do? Why are you so angry? The Lord wants you to understand something. Sin is waiting to attack you. Sin is waiting for an opportunity. It wants to to rule over you. But we can rule over it. We can be angry and not sin. But Cain says to his brother, hey, let's go out in the field. And while they were out in the field, Cain attacked his brother and he kills him because he gave up. Cain gave up. He gave up on God. He gave up on his ability to please him. He felt rejected by the Lord. And because of that rejection... He decided that he would give over to his anger. Cain would have related to the frustration of a struggling missionary who wrote this. God's demands of me were so high and his opinion of me was so low. There was no way for me to live except under his frown. All day long he nagged me. Why don't you pray more? Why don't you witness more? When will you ever learn self-discipline? How can you allow yourself to indulge in such wicked thoughts? Do this. Don't do that. When it came down to it, there was scarcely a word or a feeling or a thought or a decision of mine that God really liked. Have you ever felt that way in your relationship with God? Maybe you haven't been a missionary, but maybe your prayer or your words would be like this God, why don't you listen to my prayer? We go to church. We pay our bills, but the crib is still empty. God, why don't you give me a job? Haven't done anything wrong. I mean, after all, people who curse you have jobs. And I've served you all these years, and I can't even get a decent interview. Maybe you pray. What does it take to be forgiven, Lord? I just feel like I'm spending the rest of my life paying for one mistake. You see, when you have thoughts like this, you get heated under the collar. It stokes your anger. It makes you snap at all of those shallow minds like Abel who do half the work, but it seems like get all the blessings. And the monster within just continues to gain strength. Maybe as we're talking about this, you're beginning to discover and you're starting to realize, you know what? This is the reason that I'm so angry. You're realizing that your bitterness can be traced to feelings of actual divine rejection. And so here's the thing. If rejection actually fuels anger, then what do you think about acceptance? Do you think acceptance maybe could be a blanket that could be thrown over the anger in our life in order to to calm the monster that's within us? You think acceptance could cure it? Remember scripture? Remember back in Luke chapter 7 and verse 7 where Jesus looked at a woman who had been so penitent in his presence and his response to her was that a person who has been forgiven much loves much. But a person who has been forgiven little loves little. I I think we can adjust that passage without or with, without disturbing the integrity of the passage. I think we could say, you know what? The one who has been accepted little loves little. But the one who has been accepted much loves much. Think about the Apostle Paul before, before his road to Damascus meeting with the Lord. Think about how he was seized with anger and how Scripture says he made havoc of the church. And then think about the different writings that you've read before. From Corinthians and the letter to the Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians. And he's saying things like, we always thank God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. He says, remember how I was gentle among you like a mother caring for our children. All of a sudden, this man who seized with anger is a totally different person. He said, well, where does it come from? What made the difference? And I truly believe it's because he encountered Christ. Or to use a phrase that he would write later, your life has been hidden with Christ. Your life's been hidden with Christ. And the monster is being covered. Now, I'm not very good with languages. I'm not able to pick up on things as well as Johnny has been able to do and and throw out some Spanish here or there. But I'm amazed at the way that, that people can do this. And I'm amazed at different languages and just how so much different they are from each other. And one of the neatest languages is the Chinese language because they don't use letters, they use symbols. And these symbols represent certain ideas and certain feelings and certain emotions. And I've got one that's going to be up here. This is the, this is the symbol for righteousness. And the way that the Chinese create righteousness in their language, the way that they display it, the way that it is communicated, is actually by using two different pictures The one that's there on the top is the symbol for sheep or goat or scapegoat. And the symbol that is at the bottom, that is the one for me, for person. And so they communicate righteousness by saying that the person is covered by the lamb. Isn't that awesome? It's like, where does an idea like that come from? Hello? Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The Lamb of God now covers the child of God. And whenever the Father looks down, what does He see? He sees the Son. He sees the perfect Lamb of God that's hiding us. That's a blanket over us. It's like an intercessor. It's it's like... Someone that is standing in the gap. When God looks at you, He doesn't see you, but He sees Jesus and He responds in the way that He receives Jesus. This is my son. This is my daughter, in whom I am very well pleased. You see, I think the missionary was wrong. We don't live under the frown of God, we stir an ear to ear smile of joy from God. Listen to Zephaniah 3 and verse 17. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This is the picture that we're given of God. And you say, but I've got the monster within. How can he love me? That's the thing. You see, through Christ, God has accepted you. Monster and all. And because you have been loved so much, and because you have been accepted so much, God says, don't be easily angered. Oh, I know you've got the monster living within you, but you don't have to let it out. You see, you can't keep people from rejecting you, but you can keep rejection from enraging you. Rejections are like speed bumps on the road. They come up on the journey. It's the ball coach. It's the teacher. It's the employer. It's your children. It's your parents. It's elders and preachers and church members. And we see this rejection coming in all kinds of forms. But it doesn't have to enrage us. Because we allow the acceptance of God to compensate for another's rejection. See, there's a passage of scripture from Psalm 103, it's verses 2 and 3, and it says, The Lord heals all your diseases. Have you ever thought of anger as being a disease that you carry? Some of you are more critical than others. Some of you, it's, it's just waiting there and it's just in its early infantile stages. Others, it's raging through you like a cancer. And Scripture says, listen, the Lord can heal all of your diseases, even the monster that's within. I love the story. I love the story of T.D. Terry, who says that many years ago, a stressful job stirred daily bouts of anger within him. And his daughter, upon hearing this, said, but Father, I I don't remember any time during those years that you came home angry, And he said, do you remember the tree that stood out near the driveway about halfway between the gate and the house? Remember how that it used to be tall and then it lost a few limbs and and over time then it became a stump? He explained, that was me. I took my anger out on the tree. I kicked it. I took an axe to it. I tore the limbs. I didn't want to come home mad, so I left my anger At the tree. Can we do the same, but take it a step further? Rather than taking your anger out on a tree in the yard, why not take your anger to a tree on a hill? Take your anger to the tree of Calvary and be covered by the blood of the Lamb. We're going to sing a medley together. And I want us to use this time to, to pray before God and to, to think about our actions and the way in which we treat one another. We're not going to stand initially, that's normally our tradition, but we are going to, to sit for the first part of the medley. Derek will give us an opportunity to, to stand and and either during the time while we are sitting or, or standing. if. If you would like to come before this body saying, you know what, I just need to own up to it. I've got a monster that lives within me and, and too often it comes out. And I want your prayers. Or if you'd like to come saying, I want to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. I want to be righteous. Then we'd love to celebrate and, and, and celebrate as you're baptized into Christ this morning for the remission of your sins. And we want you to know, we... Not only do we have some of our elders who stand here in, in front of the congregation during times like this, but we also have one of our shepherds that, that is in the back. That if you feel more comfortable instead of coming before the whole body, you would like to have a time of private prayer, you can go to the back and one of our elders will be there and you can go into our prayer room and have a time of prayer there. We're going to sing together. I want you to think about the monster within, the effect that it's had in your life, and consider the effect that the blood of the Lamb could make for you.